Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, on this week's episode, we are going to try to limit the cocaine references, but the original white gold is almost as addictive. We're talking sugar, baby, and if you thought salt was interesting, well, you are in for a much wilder and much darker ride with the sweet stuff. Ever since early man was licking salt licks, they were also braving the sharp stings of bees and cultivating honey for their sugar intake. But unlike salt, sugar triggers the reward sensors of the brain that also lead to addiction. And that addiction to sweetness single-handedly reshaped the entire world. Throughout history, sugar has been used as a medicine, a spice, and even a symbol of royalty. It's also pretty much responsible for slavery, but also Twizzlers. I'm so conflicted. So roll up your sleeves, get your syringe, and jab yourself full of insulin, because it's about to get sweet. Uh, Legal disclaimer, don't actually do that. Let's start with a timeline. Sugarcane comes from New Guinea. At around 8,000 BCE, the locals were basically chewing on the stuff nonstop, acting super hyper all day long, which is why they changed the country's name from New Guinea to Papau New Guinea. That's not true, but it should be. 2,000 years later, sugar shows up in India. The Indians are first to refine sugar, where you grind and pound the cane to extract the juice, then you boil it until it becomes gravelly. In fact, the Sanskrit word for sugar, shakara, also means gravel or sand. It's a process that is extremely labor-intensive. Foreshadowing that slavery, guys. The Indians are also the first to put sugar in recipes, in milk, in rice puddings, etc. No wonder they're so friggin' happy in those Bollywood movies. Another 5,000 years go by, and that's when the Greeks and Romans get hooked on this stuff. They bring cane back from India and give it to their doctors to start using it as medicine. Stupid ancient people. Oh, what's that? It actually has medical benefits? You can use it on scars to heal faster? I'm talking to a voice in my head? Okay, I'm back. Now, because sugar was such a pain in the ass to refine, it cost a lot of money and labor, and it was mostly used by the wealthy, both in foods and in medicine. More slavery foreshadowing, guys. But then we get to the age of exploration. The Spaniards, the Portuguese, the French, the Brits all venture out into the new world, bring cane sugar with them, and exploit the local populations to refine the stuff. We already established that Columbus was canceled in our Thanksgiving episode, but if you really want to bury his rep for good, you can kinda sorta maybe blame him for the entire New World slave trade. Columbus brought sugarcane with him to Hispaniola, now Haiti and the Dominican Republic, which became the biggest sugar producer in the world and a massive slave trade hub. At the same time, the Portuguese are establishing a sugar plantation in Brazil and the Spanish and French through the Caribbean and the American South. Do you want to know how big of a deal this was? Europeans were so addicted to sugar that 12 million slaves for sugar alone were brought from Africa to the New World between 1501 and 1867. 12 million. 
sugar accounted for a third of Europe's entire economy at that point. By 1751, one out of every two ships coming into British New York was for the sugar trade. New York's enslaved population reached 20% at its peak. That's right, slavery. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Now, you might be wondering why there was such a slave influx in the northeastern part of the United States. As a New Yorker, I can tell you we are obsessed with booze, and New York slavery was all about rum. First off, rum is a liquor made by fermenting and then distilling sugarcane molasses. And molasses is the byproduct you get from extracting sugar from sugarcane. Before rum became a global phenomenon, it was being made by slaves for themselves, taking the molasses that no one was using and fermenting it. Basically, the slaves wanted to get drunk and forget the fact that they were slaves. We don't know which slave master stole the recipe, but distilled rum pretty much comes from this and rest assured that royalties were not paid in freedom. In the mid-1600s, there were a few thousand colonists in the northeastern United States who wanted to make liquor. It was cold, they were miserable, and none of their local products were getting them properly drunk for the right price. It was way more expensive to buy imported rum than to buy imported molasses and make the rum for themselves. So that's what they did. As production ramped up, the colonists needed more slave labor. To get more slaves, they traded more rum because the African slave masters loved rum. This led to the massive influx of sugar and slaves coming in and out of New York. But this is where it gets really interesting. Remember when you learned about taxation without representation in history class? Well, that entire idea is because of rum. Let's take a moment to discuss the pissing match between the French and British around rum and sugar, because this pissing match basically remade the entire world. Also, I hate the expression pissing match. Gross. Let's call it a urination tete-a-tete. No, that is way worse. Anyway, the French were buying their slaves in Africa with brandy, and they banned rum production in their colonies because rum was eating into brandy's market share. Because of the ban, molasses prices plummeted, which led the American colonists to buy French molasses instead of English molasses. American-made rum then became cheaper than British-made rum, which pissed off the British, who then implemented a molasses tax in 1733, which taxed any molasses not coming from the British colonies. Sure, the Boston Tea Party was the last straw, but people were way more pissed about paying more to get drunk. And if you've seen the bar spill out in Boston after a Red Sox win, you can quickly see why the British had no chance of winning the Revolutionary War against a bunch of boozy massholes. One of the other little-known reasons the British lost North America in the Revolutionary War, besides cheap rum, is because they had so many troops protecting their sugar islands that they didn't have enough troops to spare. Without sugar, America doesn't exist. Okay. Palate cleanser. Let's get things a little lighter. Because England had an insane sugar addiction, the term sweet tooth was first coined. British royalty, in particular, was known for their sweet teeth. And Queen Elizabeth I had completely rotted out black teeth because of too much sugar. I mean, it's not exactly karmic justice for slavery, but it's not nothing. Back to the slave trade. Once the British lost the Revolutionary War, they had to turn their attention to Napoleon, who was threatening to take over the world. The Brits declared war on France in 1803 and subsequently set up a blockade that severely limited all non-British sugar from coming back to the continent. While the blockade was messing up Napoleon's sugar high, he had another problem. A slave rebellion in Haiti took out one of the biggest sources of French sugar. Because of the British blockade and the slave revolt, Napoleon held a contest in his country to find an alternative to sugarcane. The end result is the sugar beet. 
By the way, Napoleon loved contests and crowdsourcing and marketing schemes. This is how we got canning to preserve food. This is how we got baguettes. It's also how we got sugar beets. He's like the Gary Vaynerchuk of emperors. Gross. But that leads us to how sugar supplanted cotton and tobacco as the most vital slave crop in the U.S. Oh, you thought cigarettes and crisp white teas were important to America? Nothing compares to sugar. Stay with me. Napoleon felt he found a replacement for sugar coming from his defunct colonies. And with slavery becoming a faux pas, France actually abolished slavery in 1794, this is what led him to sell Louisiana to the U.S. for cheap. The Louisiana Purchase is single-handedly responsible for making the American South the hub of sugar and slavery. This also led to the Missouri Compromise, which allowed the newly established state of Missouri to be a slave state in exchange for establishing Maine as a free state. The Compromise split the Louisiana Territory into two. North of the line, with the exception of Missouri, were considered free states, and south of the line were slave states. This of course ended in the Civil War, but it all started because of sugar. After the Missouri Compromise, the slavery population soared in Louisiana and Missouri. Have you seen 12 Years a Slave? Yep, that's about sugar. Brad Pitt isn't the only sweet thing in that movie. A couple of important timelines for sugar. The Domino Sugar Company was created by a cartel of sugar producers in 1900. At the time, Domino controlled 97% of the U.S. sugar market. They were so powerful that when other producers tried to bring brown sugar into the U.S. market, Domino basically ran a smear campaign that pitted white sugar against brown sugar, blowing up microscopic images of brown sugar to show it had grotesque insects living inside it. The campaign had racial undertones that showed how white sugar was better than brown and that brown was actually bad for you. It's like they took the words white powder and just removed the D. Finally, in 1942, the medical community started warning people about sugar, and by 1966, scientists began to see a correlation between sugar and diabetes and obesity. Oh, and if you think sugar and slavery is over, think again. As recent as the last five years, Haitian farmers have been tricked into working in Dominican sugar plantations where their wages are less than their cost of living. They created an indentured servitude system where Haitian farmers were perpetually in debt to their bosses and could never work enough to get out of it. 21st century sugar slavery, baby! Let's switch gears and head to 1970 with the introduction of high fructose corn syrup. I'm just going to call it corn crack for shorthand because it's way more fun to. First, what is it? Well, in America, we have a lot of corn, and corn has a lot of byproducts. One of those byproducts is ethanol, which is basically gasoline. But if you add an enzyme to that, you get sugar. I'm sure it's good for you. By the early 80s, nearly every single processed food and soft drink was using corn crack. Coke switched in 1984 and never looked back. Quick aside, the reason Mexican Coke still uses cane sugar is because the Mexican government saw that corn crack was killing their own sugar industry and placed a tax on the stuff coming into Mexico. The U.S. complained about this to the World Trade Organization and won. But at the same time, the stigma that corn crack was bad for you kept a market for Mexican Coke with cane sugar, and they kept making it that way. Okay, some fun sugar numbers. The sugar industry will be valued at $45.6 billion by 2027. Take that, cocaine. No, seriously, the global cocaine market is about $40 billion. Step up your game, drug lords. Twinkies are taking you out. The United States consumes 77 to 90 pounds of sugar per person per year. 
For context, our ancestors consumed 20 teaspoons of sugar a year. We do 20 teaspoons on average per day. Take that, ancestors. USA! USA! So, how and why are we consuming all this sugar that might be killing us? You can point your diabetic finger at a scientist named Howard Moskowitz who discovered what's called the bliss point in food in 1971. The bliss point, along with being one of the random categories in U-porn, is essentially a way to put the perfect amount of sugar into a product without you feeling full from eating too much of it. That's right, food scientists are literally tricking your brain into eating more sugar without you realizing it. That's why sugar is in everything from bread to ketchup to pasta sauces and Cheetos. At least slavery was overt. Okay, so what have we learned, friends? Sugar is hiding in plain sight in everything we eat and drink. Sugar pretty much created America and ended the British Empire, and sugar is responsible for some of the worst parts of human history. Boy, this was a heavy episode. I'm going to pour myself a rum and coke and not think about what it took to get those two ingredients into my glass. This episode of Green Eggs and Dan History Bites was produced and edited by Jordan Aaron. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. This episode was co-written by myself and my partner in food crime, the Paul Feinstein. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really important to us, guys. Please do it. If you want more Green Eggs and Dan action, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at StandUpDan. Also, we have a YouTube page where you can actually see me and my guests going through their fridges. Just type Green Eggs and Dan into YouTube, like and subscribe. I promise you will enjoy it. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.